Teaching meditation can be a deeply rewarding experience. Help others improve their mental and emotional well-being, reduce stress, improve focus, increase self-awareness and self-regulation, all while deepening your own practice and understanding. Join acclaimed author, Buddhist teacher, and Emmy Award-winning musician David Nickturn on Tuesday, May 28th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time for a free online discussion on teaching meditation in Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash be here now for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn on May 28th. I'm Rachel, the creative director for Ram Dass's Love Server Member Foundation, and I'd like to welcome you to our Inner Academy, a virtual Dharma hall where our family of wisdom teachers will help you navigate your daily life by bringing ancient wisdom into a modern context. With over 200 hours of audio and video teachings, meditations, and practices from teachers like Ram Dass, Krishna Das, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, Roshi Joan Halifax, Joseph Goldstein, and many more, the Inner Academy is your core resource for finding balance, presence, and navigating the ups and downs of your daily life. The Inner Academy has guidance for every step of your journey. Choose from an annual or monthly membership and gain access to past and future courses, retreat replays, virtual community, and much more. If you've been familiar with Love Server Member Foundation for a while, you'll know that most of our offerings are given freely or on a sliding scale basis. So when you subscribe to the Inner Academy, you're paying it forward and bolstering our ability to continue creating accessible offerings for all in the future, as Ramdas wished for us to do. Be here now and start your journey with Ramdas's Inner Academy today. For more, visit ramdas.org forward slash Inner Academy. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to the Krishnadas Pilgrim Heart Hour. In this podcast, Krishnadas shares his warm-hearted and down-to-earth path to the divine. If you are interested in supporting Krishnadas's podcast, please go to beherenownetwork.com/kd. Howdy. 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 Terrible traffic oh. on the west side, Veterans Day. Uh-huh. Everybody leaving for Canada. A creature was wilder on the Empire State Building, a Trumpzilla. Oh, Trumpzilla. <laughs> it, it had a big lashing its tail and knocking down a few neighboring buildings. <laughs> and there was like a crisis. People were fleeing the city. <laughs> it took me three hours to get here. <clears throat> 
Things are, things are excellent. Right to it, usual. right to it. You see what I mean? No hesitation whatsoever. What's that? Nothing, nothing. <laughs> right to it. So, say hi to everybody. Say hi, hi, everybody. I said hi already. And... Hi, everybody. I'm sorry I was late. Uh, I left at 5.30. should have been here at 7.30, but I just made it now. What? I'll get that down. Okay. All good. And uh, what I have been thinking about the last couple of days is uh, Srenika the Wanderer. There's a story in the Ashtasahasrika Prajnaparamita, the 8,000-line Prajnaparamita Sutra, about someone called an ascetic called Srenika the Wanderer. And Srenika the Wanderer is the only one of the few people in the in that literature, in that teaching, who attained the realization of emptiness, ultimate reality, and therefore non-duality, emptiness, relativity, uh, by faith. By? Faith. Faith. Yes. Uh-huh. Not by reason, not by analysis, you know, mm. not by vipassana, insight, uh-huh. but by faith. Faith. Uh-huh. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> in anticipating working with you, and having the joy of being with you and all of you, I was thinking about the sameness of faith and wisdom mm. at some level. And then that made me think of our beloved friend, uh, Shyamdas, ah. and his uh, stern critique of Shankaracharya, of having a kind of dualistic non-duality mm-hmm. in favor of Shuddhadvait, of the Vallabhacharya lineage of the Krishna Bhakti. Mm-hmm. You know, pure non-duality, <coughs> instant non-duality, right here, this all being ultimate divinity, you know, right here and now, which 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 is like the uh, Buddhist idea of the reality body of the Buddha, the Dharmakaya, as it is called, the, the truth body or reality body of the Buddha. Which from where anybody who ever became a Buddha, oh, there's the angel. Hello, how are you? Uh, anybody who, when anybody becomes a Buddha, which all of us are doomed to become sooner or later, then uh, we have an experience that we are everyone else, which is what makes it very much of a startling surprise. Because <laughs> we think we're going to have like a big thing where we're going to be Buddha. And then we find out that everybody else is Buddha at the same time because we are everybody else. And then, but then this strange thing kicks in where we see everybody else as completely non-dual with us, but they're still themselves. And then and they're totally beautiful and they're totally all right. They are totally embraced by Krishna, by Shiva, by Buddha, whoever it might be. And yet they are running around terrified of Trumpzilla. <laughs> and the many, many, many Trumpzillas that there have been in the, our planet and seem to be an endless supply of them, <laughs> actually. And 
And so then there's a funny thing where they're actually all right, and the Buddha perceives us all as completely bundles of clear light of the void, as they might call it, or bliss void, indivisible. You know, uh, Shaivite Maitreya says, you know, Shiva, Shakti, and union and every cell and every subatomic wave, particle, whatever. Uh, Krishna, Vala Maitreya says, embraced in the beloved gopis of Krishna, you know. And uh, and yet, we we don't know that yet. We We somehow are insisting that we are separate from all of it, and we try to unify ourselves in this and that way. We seek some kind of union. And um, and then different people in different ways, some think, oh, only it can be done by bhakti, by faith, because oneself is so imperfect. But the other one, the Krishna, the Buddha, the Shiva, the bliss void, indivisible of emptiness, etc., that's all pervading. So from that side, all I have to do is have faith in that and, and really drill down in the heart and go to the very center, subtle Buddha nature, Buddha womb, Buddha soul, where there is, where it's, which is the real self. And there, uh, find that there's where there is already the awareness. We all already have the awareness there. But that awareness is locked away from our conventional awareness, habitual awareness by our dualistic perception of imperfection and suffering and in inadequacy and etc our delusion our ignorance our misknowledge so now the way in which i i, I just want to explain this or i'm working and thinking about this is when when you realize that a mirror is a mirror when you, whenever, at whatever age you were, when you reached into the mirror to reach the space that you saw as being on the other side through the window, and you thought there was a three-dimensional space in there, and you reached in, and then it clanked into the surface of the mirror. And then you realize that it's a reflection, and left and right are reversed, and there's some odd things about it, but it's just a reflection on the surface of this mirror then the person who's had a, a unitive experience with the ultimate in whatever language they approach it, Paramatma, Nairatmya, Supreme Self, or selflessness, emptiness, or fullness, whatever they like to call it, they somehow realize the illusoriness of this differentiated world of insufficiency and problems and fears and aggressions and and obsessions and depressions um, are all, then they realize that all of those have disappeared into this union experience. Then that's like realize that union experience becomes like the surface of some kind of inconceivably complex and exquisite and extraordinary mirror. And then because they don't stay apart, Forever, that's not possible, because they entered. So what? What? What enters exits <laughs> in the relative state, but that's a deeper state. But it doesn't crush or destroy the surface state. So then, then, however, you when you 
see the surface, experience yourself at the surface state as a differentiated, alienated, separated being. That experience is reflected in the mirror surface of this ultimate, loving, infinitely energetic, infinitely free, infinitely liberated reality. That it doesn't underlie, it may seem at first to underlie as if you leave one for the other, but eventually it is what constitutes the relativity, the differentiated level. It's what creates it, allows it to be there as a totally interrelated, you know, entangled swirl of beauty. So then after that, just like when you look in the mirror, you have an intuitive knowledge that this is just a reflection in the mirror. And you don't have to renew that knowledge by thinking through or repeating or conceptually remembering that it's a mirror. You intuitively know that it's a mirror. So should that right is that all of this Leela, you know it's the play of Krishna. You know it's the it's the vision of Shiva loving Uma, Shakti, and or you know it's the infinite love of the Dharmakaya, infinite compassion of infinite Buddhas for all of us infinite beings. So that faith is where you go beyond some concept and you give your heart to what you're having faith in. And that intuition also is just complete connection to that deeper reality and a connection which does not smother or destroy your attention to the particulars of the differentiated plane which, because you know that it is the same thing. It's the same plane. It's not outside of it. It's not, doesn't devalue that plane. It fulfills that plane. It embraces it. It loves it. Loves everything in it. Love meaning it provides the space for its freedom and happiness. So neither that intuition, wisdom intuition, nor that faith requires some kind of theory or concept in a way. Both go beyond theory, but both are the ultimately solid experience. And that ultimately solid experience enfolds and sustains specific relative love and compassion and service and joy. And faith combined with music is so wonderful because then it it just it springs the emotion along. So that's what I've been thinking about. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take two of those to go. What? I'll take two of those to go. Thank you. <laughs> two in one. Wow. <laughs> you, you see? That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> Maharaji said the same thing. He used to say, Subek, all one. He didn't say it's all one or we're all one. You see, people yeah. argue about that all the time. Yeah. It's not all one. He said all one. Yeah. Just all oh, one. Oh, yes. Yeah. And we kept trying to, we were so caught in our difference, differentiated yeah. stuff, but it was his love and his presence that allowed us into the room where we could drop that. In fact, to get into that room, we just left it. We just walked out of it into that room, you know. 
over and over again. That's how he taught. He didn't teach with words and lectures. Oh, oh, good. Oh, yeah. You know? <laughs> Love everybody. Yeah. All one. Yeah. That's... Uh, and Sarvam he, Ekam. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't a concept for him. It was all... It was 24-7, 365 and a quarter, I think it is. So that means that we, we all have to direct our love and um, on the conventional level yeah. to the person who is much more anxious than any of us. Much more anxious? Yeah, much yeah. more frightened sure. and anxious. Absolutely. Yeah. Someone who has been living in, in personal reality for a long time, in a gilded cage kind of. But now, this particular transition it's trying to make is into colliding with real reality. Yeah. And it's very frightening yeah. to him. And we are one with him. Guruji loves him. Yeah. I know we are very frightened of him. And we have reason to be on some conventional plane, definitely. Yeah. But he's more frightened than we are, actually. Mm. Sure. Because reality is hitting him. He made all these promises. It's going to be really great. It's going to be really great. It's going to be really great. <laughs> really, really, really great. <laughs> now, uh, what? <laughs> uh, yes, sir. Okay, it's going to be great. Well, what? Anyway. Yeah. As I said, he's, on the, he's wrapped around the Empire State Building. Following in the steps of King Kong and Godzilla. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. It's all right. You can come down now. <laughs> Mi Michelle will show you where the toilet is. You know the famous thing, Eisenhower and Kennedy? Do you, you know that story? No. When Eisen, uh, Mamie and Eisenhower took uh, John and Jacqueline, you know, introduced them to the White House. Uh -huh. And then the, and then they get in the car and they leave, you know, the, the tradition, you know. Mm -hmm. So then Kennedy, John Kennedy asked the Dwight Eisenhower if he had any special precept, inner secret teaching about being president. Uh -huh. So Eisenhower said, most important thing, he said, son... Never pass up a chance to relieve yourself. <laughs> I see. That's what Marilyn Monroe was all That's about. That's a deep precept. That's a deep precept. <laughs> Apparently, you know, you get in these long meetings, you know. Mm. Right? Yeah. Yeah, oh boy. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Did, uh, did Michael tell you all about Menlaw and what it is? Yep. Who this is, and he's blue. He's also blue, like Krishna. Mm. You know, which is supposed to be the color of the of the monsoon thundercloud yeah. that brings the rain. You know? you know what? You know what the name for that is? Sham. Yeah, Sham. Yes. Sham. Yeah. Sham. Yeah. Sham Das. Sham. Sham. Yeah, Sham. And uh, and in in the Buddhist uh, thing, the blue is called ultimate reality, perfection, wisdom. It's a sapphire color. They say it's lapis, but it's, then they say it's translucent, and lapis is mm -hmm. not translucent. That's right. So yeah. it has to be a sapphire color. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that it's, that's actual wisdom, which is the, the transmutation of hatred, actually. 
And ha hatred as a poison connects to intelligence because, you know, intelligence wants to get to the bottom of what it is and find out what it is and take it apart, you know. So it, intelligence is like a fire that burns through the superficial appearance of things and wants to see the real reality of it, you know, the mm -hmm. fire of wisdom. Mm -hmm. And um, so for the egocentric, you know, deluded person driven by their unconscious, then that, that poison called hatred or anger, you know, fury, etc., becomes intelligence, becomes ultimate reality, perfection, wisdom, because it sees through all of the things and it discovers the, that the reality is perfect already, has always been, you know, mm -hmm. and that it's, and that's a deep blue, blue black type color, you know, mm. the central channel, Rahu, you know, it's a, it's, it's just always been perfect, you know. So if any of us has any experience of feeling that anything's imperfect, like we're sitting too much in one position, we get a pain over here, we have a painful knee or something wrong, then that's because we are dealing with the illusory level of the reality. And the ultimate reality, it's perfect. So, when, so the, the deity that is blue color, like that, a dark blue color, means that they're grounded in this ultimate reality. It's why they're black, mm. black and blue, blue, black. It's mm -hmm. like a, dark, dark, you know, Parker's yeah. blue-black ink, you know. Mm -hmm. It's that color, mm -hmm. like Krishna, right? Mm. And uh, out of that darkness, it's like, the, it's like the scientists, the poor male chauvinist modern scientists, mostly, but except for a few women, right? The one woman in Cambridge discovered dark matter and dark energy. Uh -huh which is 97% of what's here. Huh. This bright male stuff is only 3%. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, never mind. I'm not going to start crying because we don't have a mom in the White House. I wanted to have a mom. And, <laughs> but uh, we don't really have. Mm. But uh, I have another father. So, so that's a blue color. So anyway, when Buddha looked out at the suffering of beings, to subliminally reassure them, he radiated this blue light, and he turned this dark blue light. Hmm. And it's almost, it's always radiating, and it's, it's like you know, almost invisible because it's like dark, but mm -hmm. yet it's a light. Mm -hmm. And that, that's the ultimate healing light, you know, mm. like a cobalt dark light. Mm -hmm. And... Um, and because he's like only present, manifests a presence out of being a field of oneness with all of those suffering beings, because that manifested as a beacon of the fact that they have healing within them. And there is a deeper level where they're actually all healed already, which they will discover soon, sooner or later. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it's called Mela, which, which Bhaisajya Guru in Sanskrit. Bhaisajya means medicine. Guru means teacher of medicine. And he has a medical immortality thing in the bowl. Mm. And then he holds in his right hand, which is down like that, in the boon-granting gesture, mm. giving of gift, uh, fulfilling your wishes gesture. Mm. He holds a plant, mm. which signals to us that the plant world has the healing. It, it's, it matches us, the, the animal world, the moving people. The unmoving plant world has everything we need. 
you know, and we give it some, we give it that nice carbon dioxide that it likes. Mm. It gives us back to oxygen and every kind of medicine. So that's the, but that's the Aru plant, you know, Aru, Baru, Kuru. It's the Myrobalan plant, you know, special healing plant that grows in India and grows in heaven, they say, you know. So this place is supposed to be a place where when you, when you come through that gate in the front there, you're supposed to feel 100% better right away. <laughs> okay, let's go do it again. And then, <laughs> and then you meet, then you see, you listen to KD, and then you're 200% better. <laughs> and that's, the, that's the, the image that we're meditating. And uh, Dalai Lama, of course, has the place. He, he was here one night. He was supposed to be two. I was here that time. And they stole him the second night. He was supposed to be here two nights. Uh-huh. And I asked him how he slept. And he said it was the best sleep he ever had in North America. Really? Wow. I don't know what happened in South America. <laughs> Must have been really great. But it was the best sleep he ever had in North America. He wow. Said, wow. On that's, this, on this place. Yeah. And I asked out of concern because he said he met with a great Naga here. Yeah. There's a big, huge Naga here, he said. Which has to do Guru's with the water Naga? coming up over the mountain. Yes, yeah, so a very benevolent, nice Naga, peaceful Naga. Uh-huh. But a, a Naga, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Michael and, uh, well. yeah. you know, it, the Nagas, if, if they're happy, Nagas are tremendous blessing uh-huh. beings, you know. They, they saved the Mahayana Sutras for four or five hundred years mm. from Buddha's time in the, under the ocean, mm-hmm. in, the, in the Mahayana mm-hmm. um, myth, imaginary, you know, mm-hmm. or reality. But Nagas are really great. They're like serpents or dragons. Right? Yeah. Naga. Yeah. And uh, it's in, he had a big bowl of milk this big he was offering to the Naga. Yeah. And we do pujas to that Naga. I remember we were sitting, the, the room was set up differently that day. What's that? The room was set up differently. When His Holiness was here, he was sitting over right, there. Right, And I was sitting there and there were a long line of Rinpoche's sitting there. And His Holiness was sitting there, and people were making noise and talking and everything and getting ready. Finally, His, his Holiness just looked over at Gelak Rinpoche and said, Rinpoche! All of a sudden, everybody's chanting. He said, Rinpoche! It was so funny. Yeah. He was very happy. But he was a little disconcerted by the longevity, one of the longevity experiments, because we had those doctors who were doing longevity. Mm-mm, and know. that one lady, Elizabeth Blackburn, mm-hmm. she got a Nobel Prize afterwards for having discovered the telomeres. Oh, yeah. You know, the, the cell that creates longevity, mm-hmm. the cap on the cell. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but then another one had this thing where they had slides showing two mouses sewed together, you know, their circulatory system oh. sewed together. And where the organs of the young one rejuvenated the old one, you know. Oh, really? Yeah. So his holiness muttered to me in, in, in Tibet and said, maybe I better have myself sewn to you. <laughs> and I said, I'm sorry, holiness, I'm not young enough. <laughs> and it wouldn't do either of us any good. He laughed. He laughed. And, uh, but then he did actually, he actually sort of stuck his tongue out. And, uh, <laughs> he didn't like that look of those mice. You know, yeah, yeah. Like, like that. And then the lady who was giving that talk, the researcher, she said, I didn't do that experiment. I'm just showing a slide. 
Yeah. She, she realized he was uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. That's hard to see. That's funny. And, uh, and I, I did actually say to her, I said, no, they, uh, they don't uh, sew themselves. But in, in America, sometimes the wealthy older men attach themselves to some young, <laughs> younger, younger female. I did say. And then he kind of looked. He didn't, I'll drink to he that. He didn't go for that. <laughs> you remember, He's I don't know. He's a very earthy fellow, you know. Oh, he is funny. You know, um, really earthy. Do you, I, mean, I just want to tell this, another his yes. holiness story. We were, yes. in, we were in Phoenix at that yes. place on the top oh, of yeah, the hill. Oh, yeah, yeah, the anger one. Yeah, yeah. 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 And he did a whole teaching for three or four days, I think it was on bodhicitta and yes. kindness and everything. And the last yes, session, last session, he took questions from people. And uh, Jimpa was reading the questions to his holiness. One of the questions was, your holiness, I did something to hurt somebody once. Oh, yeah. Remember this? I do. And, and I apologized over and over. Year after year, I keep apologizing. And the person will, does not accept my apology. What should I do? And this is, remember, all these teachings were on kindness and compassion and caring. And, and so, after, so His Holiness says, you keep apologizing. One year, two years, three years, you keep apologizing. Four years, they don't, they don't accept your apology. Tell them to go to hell. But, but there's, there no, is no, one. Uh, no, 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 wait. Don't I'm going to tell it. I'm oh, going to okay. tell it. All right, all right. So, all of a sudden, I thought to myself, his Holiness, the Dalai Lama, does not tell people to go to hell because if he did, oh. they would, and he doesn't really want that. Exactly. Right? So I asked Bob, I said, oh. Bob, I said, what did he really say? Bob said to me, he said, tell him to eat shit. That's right. Gakpaso in Tibetan, it's a very, Gakpaso. Yeah, that's a. He's eat shit. But the like, translator. It's like we say go to hell. The translator yeah. was embarrassed to say that. Yeah. <laughs> For whatever reason, so he used what he heard, heard a lot of Westerners say, who lightly say that because they don't believe there's such a place. That's right. Yeah, that's right. So they, oh, everybody's, oh, go to hell, oh, hell, go to hell. We all say because we don't think it really is a place. But his holiness would never say to never anybody, say go that. to hell. They don't say that in Tibetan language yeah, yeah. because they do think there's, there's 32 hells and they're very vividly described and you don't say to somebody you should go there. Anybody, yeah. not even any Zillas or anybody. No, 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 you don't. And uh, so he just said, "Eat shit." That was, you know, Gakwaso. It's very it's innocent sounding in Tibetan. Gakwaso. Yeah. Innocent in Tibetan. And, uh, and there's another. I have another one in this video yeah, yeah. about his holiness. When we were at one of those science conferences, actually one that we arranged. Before, mind life. No, it was no. before mind life. Oh, before. We were proto mind life. Uh huh. Yeah, like protozoa, you know, we were proto mind. <laughs> so we had one at MIT, and there was a guy, a, a Western American scientist, who was doing addiction thing. Mm -hmm. And in the addiction thing, he was telling his holiness that he, he had developed a thing where he could stimulate with electrical somehow a certain place in the brain. And the person who was thus stimulated, the subject, experimental subject, would have a strong feeling of pleasure with no content. Mm hmm. So just by stimulating the brain, you know, sure. which of course for them is proving that the brain is the mind and all this. Right? Yeah. But his only wasn't getting to that issue, mm -hmm. but he was thrilled about it. So I was so excited about it. Huh. So we didn't really know why. And then we went to the green room and, you know, there was a break, you know, yeah. between sessions. We went to the green room. Jimbo was still a monk at the time, at that time. And he has a robe on everything. Long time ago. So, yeah, long time ago. So 
So then uh, his holiness is just flipped out. There's a story in the Vinaya about a monk who was raped by an ex-nun, recent ex-nun, who must have been a female mud wrestler or something. <laughs> she was a lot stronger than him. Uh-huh. And she got him down and she made love with him. Because uh-huh. uh, she'd been in love with him, I guess, from afar when she was a nun, you know, and then she couldn't stand anymore and she resigned as a nun. And then uh-huh. she waited and laid and waited for this monk who she was, had the hots for. And she grabbed him down and she did that. <laughs> as was telling his story. And then... <laughs> then the, the other monks, oh, he, just, he had sex. He ejaculated him. He had sex. And to brought, dragged him to the Buddha, you know, in the confession twice a month. And then Buddha asked him, like, well, did you get into it yourself? He said, no way. I was completely out of my body. I don't, I'm, I don't know what happened to my body. She had charge of it. I didn't bother. I was not there. The monk said. And Buddha said, I believe you. You're staying. You're in the, you remain a monk. You're in the order. I don't eject you. Uh-huh. And the other monks were outraged, and for two thousand five hundred years they've been debating this argument in total this and that. And apparently, holiness was on the side that Buddha was right, because many think Buddha made a mistake or he had oh, he had I, like favoritism see, to this I monk see. or something oh. like that. Because and, right. and his holiness was thrilled. He said, "Neuroscience proves that that monk was not in the content of making love with that nun. He was just." He was just being uh, being abused, uh-huh. and but his body automatically had the erection, even even the ejaculation. What a but concept. he was not into it. So then there's a guy sitting over there from the MIT. Yeah. This is all going on in Tibetan. Yeah, Real yeah, excitement. Yeah. His homeless is really out about <laughs> solved a thousand-year-old problem. Uh-huh. And the guy, then his homeless says to Jimba, tell him what we're talking about. The guy was looking like open mouthed at this intense Tibetan yeah, conversation. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're solving the universe. <laughs> and Jim says, No, no, I don't want to tell him. He's all flushing red. Oh, wow. Well. <laughs> still a monk. So then I tell him, Well, his holiness, and I told him the story. You know? yeah, yeah. I had a heart on, he ejaculated, and he did this. And, that. and the guy's like, oh. <laughs> like, I couldn't believe that the Dalai Lama was so much concerned with the reality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And this, that, that, that it was this, he saw this, he looked down in the future, saw this long partnership between neuroscience and Tibetan Vinaya, mm-hmm. the ethical. Yeah, sure. The monastic ethical mm-hmm. thing, a fantastic partnership. Wow. <laughs> That's what he did. Uh, <laughs> you know, that brings up a point, you know, well, that we... The difference between Western monasticism and Eastern monasticism. I feel the monks that I've met in the East, they they know what life's about. They're not hiding from no. from the those the realities no, of no, sex. No, no, but they're not the, monks. This oh? is, these are Western words: monasticism, uh-huh, monk, uh-huh. ordained. Those are all Western Christian words. Achha. When you become a full Mendicant. Bhikshu means a mendicant. Uh-huh. So it's like means a dropout. Thousands of years before Tim Leary, <laughs> it means a dropout. And it, what it, because that society was so generous, Indian society, yeah, and was so wealthy, yeah, and they had a lot of food, mm-hmm. and they didn't have ice boxes, right? So they they were happy to give it away. <laughs> so therefore. It was a merit to give it away. Uh-huh. So when people would meet the Buddha and they would feel his vibe, mm-hmm. 
that he was like totally self-satisfied. He had like total flow in his body. He was a flowing being, mm -hmm. right? And all the, the, the later arhats became like that. They were all flowing beings. Mm -hmm. So when they would feel that, they would say, oh, why am I plowing this field? Why am I doing that? Why am I raising this child? Female or male, they wanted to join that. Mm -hmm. And they just became mendicants. And then they opened up their sens sensibility. And, and by reversing that, sort of deep craving for the set date on a Saturday night mm -hmm. or whatever, mm -hmm. they had that energy flowing throughout the whole system, mm. in fact. Right. And, the, and especially the women. The whole system. That's the yes, key. Yes, the yeah. whole system, not yeah. just genitally organized, you know, orgasm, and, like Freud and, might talk about. And versa visa, not just everything but. Orgasm. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Brain orgasm, throat yeah. orgasm, heart orgasm, navel orgasm, earlobe orgasm. So, so the point is that yeah. that uh, there are mendicants. When you get to be a full member of a mendicant, it's called graduation. Huh. It and it's a, considered a privilege. It's not a deprivation. Right. And especially for the women. Now, the modern feminist scholars of Buddhism get really freaked out about Buddha because he resisted two times to have a female mendicant order right. or community. Right. They were, even the word order is wrong. Uh -huh. See, the order and ordination, all that comes from the fact that in Western and Christian monasticism, the first virtue of a monk or a nun is obedience. Uh -huh. And the obedience goes to the Adam, to the abbot, rather, yeah. abbot to the Pope, Pope to God, or right, Jesus right, and right. God. Right? Yeah, yeah. So it's the hierarchy mm -hmm. of obedience. Mm -hmm. There's not a mention of obedience in, in Buddhist um, mendicancy. Uh-huh. It's freeing, freedom. Mm. And so when you're a mendicant, you don't have to worry about your bank account. You don't have to worry about mm -hmm. your mortgage. You don't have to worry about which Godzilla is on the throne. Mm. You just go and get free food. Yeah. And you limit it. You have a big lunch at 11 a.m. Right. And you limit it to that so that they, they don't get over, you know, you don't demand dinner. Right. Or breakfast, just lunch. Yeah. Free lunch. Mm-hmm. Because of the wonderful, generous India, you know. Yes. So, and, oh, yeah, and the prime minister mad at him because he didn't immediately embrace all the women. But he just said, he didn't say, he said, well, can't women get alignment? He said, oh, yeah, they can get alignment more easily because they're more advanced than men in the compassion department, uh -huh. in the sense of connectedness department. Right. He said it's easier for them. But if we open up to a female mendicancy order, the overall community, or rather community, the overall community will have a lesser longevity. Yeah. And the reason is so many will want to join, more than the men. Uh, and there was a total flood. Because why? In the patriarchal family system, terrible. you're married at eight, you start bearing children at 13, you bear them continuously until you're worn out in your early 20s. And then you're, and the guy you marry is arranged some like, there's a one nun, you know, the one nun song, I forgot her name, but she says, oh, Buddha, if this isn't nirvana, it's close enough. <laughs> I just had lunch under a tree, free lunch. Yeah. I didn't have to cook it, prepare it, harvest it, anything. I have only the one bowl. I don't have to wash the bowl. I just wipe it out, put it back in my little jola. Uh -huh. And you helped me, Buddha, you helped me escape from three crooked things. My rice-pounding pestle, that I pounded the husks off the rice. Mm -hmm. My bent-over old mother-in-law. <laughs> 
and my hunchbacked husband. Wow. Thank you, Buddha. Wow. This is nirvana for me, she said. She didn't even see. We don't know if she, if she was really in nirvana. Yeah, she yeah. realized she was in nirvana or not, but she said that was close enough. Right. So there was a total stampede, as mm. he predicted. And they're much better mendicants, and they retrieve their stages very quickly. Sure. Of course. We know we can see that in America. They're, they're more advanced than us. Yeah. Right? Do you agree? Absolutely. There, Absolutely. He knows which side he's buttered on. <laughs> <laughs> me too <laughs> and and because the compassion is the thing if this is the ultimate reality here and now if we are in the embrace of Krishna then we are connected to everyone inevitably there's no escape we're all entangled forever and it, it, it's harder for us males to know that than it is for you females that's why in America they're way ahead in all the orders and all the meditation groups, and they are really the best, right? Yeah, they are. Yeah, guys are struggling alone. Absolutely. Huh? Maharaj used to say what? Maharaj used to say one sati or pure woman is worth a thousand yogis. Really? Yeah, sure. He over and over, he's, he always said he's that. He's the yeah. best. Love everybody. He's so great. <laughs> he's very good. I like his. I like his pose over there. He has like a really nice knee thing. Yeah. It's hard he to must do. not have pain in his knees. He could Did he have knee pain? No, no. You know, he could put his arms flat on the ground like this and do a complete somersault without picking them up. What? Yeah. He he could do he had <laughs> three hundred and sixty degrees he could do. Really? Oh yeah, he used to do that when he was younger all the time. He used to entertain the, the school kids so they would give him his, their lunches. <laughs> Really? Yeah. He'd come out of the jungle and play with the jungle. How would he do that? You mean he would put his hand he, and then he'd flip his whole body around like shoulder yeah, joints? Yeah, yeah, Mr. Tuar, yeah. he told me that. He saw it himself many times. Can you do that? Your Mahayogini? <laughs> Can you do that? Can you teach people how to do that? <laughs> oh, yeah, I'll give you lunch. I'll give you, sure. I'll give you my socks. <laughs> <laughs> I sure will. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Yeah. He used to do all kinds of things like that. He would uh, you know, twist himself in all kinds of shapes and everything. And no, I was, I was telling somebody, it's kind of weird, you know, your beloved guru and my original beloved guru, although he would never admit to being a guru, huh. he refused. Really? He said, I'm not taking, don't give me this guru crap, he said. It's not good for you. It's not good for me. He would always say that. Mm. He said, because sometimes if I say scold you or say something and you get mad at me, then that's a great sin for you. So oh. if I'm really, what I really appreciate if someone feels I'm their friend, he used to say. Mm -hmm. He was so great. Yeah. He always stepped out of using the guru little sure. trick, little dominating yeah. guru trick, you know. Yeah. He did. Yeah. You know, he really did. He was really great. But anyway, these, these two guys starred in Ramdas's Be Here Now. They were both in that book. Which, which two guys? Oh, Nishiwanga. Yeah, yeah, sure. Nishiwanga. He, uh, he had this transmission yeah. when his car ran out of gas in the East Side Tunnel. Remember, Ramdas was yeah. driving in his little green Mercedes, <laughs> and, uh, and he was still Richard Alpert there, and then the car ran out of gas, and he was all panicked yeah, in the yeah. driver's seat. Nishiwanga was snoozing, <laughs> sitting in the right side. 
Do you remember that story? Well, he used to go there a lot because of a friend of his who Gishiwanga was trying to help. Right, right. Who had gone a little wacky. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. We heard about One him. dose too many. Yeah, yeah, one dose too many. At least one dose too many. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> anyway. Anyway. So anyway, California has now legalized pot. And they're going to secede. They're going to secede? I'm, they might. Mm. Okay. If, Rudy, if Rudy Giuliani becomes the, the, the uh, what do you call it, not district attorney, uh, attorney general. Oh, my God in heaven. Okay. It's going to be rough. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, really, it will be, huh? Nevada and Massachusetts also. But luckily, they they'll just be cheap. They'll keep trying to arrest Hillary. Yeah. <laughs> and even now they're saying they want to arrest Obama. They want to? They want to arrest Obama. Who said that? The followers of Trump. Achoo. They want to arrest him. I don't know why. They just had a very civil 45-minute thing, and, and, and Trumpzilla said he needed Obama's counsel. Mm. And the White House, they went to the White House already. Mm. Yeah. There's nothing worse than followers. Than what? There's nothing worse than followers. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's just... Yeah. <laughs> well, that's true. We could have used a few more, though, the other day. Yeah. Anyway. So here we are, right? This is uh, a direct experience of reality. No, there's no nothing going on, just life right here. That's right. And um, I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to be here. You can't explain it, but you can experience it. That's the greatest thing about it. Yeah. Isn't it? it is one of the greatest things about it. <clears throat> so and so, let's sing for a little bit. Oh, here they come. <laughs> here yeah. they come. They got <sighs> I took some clear light once. This, this, this next, this next number, <laughs> this next number is the lullaby. The lullaby. The lullaby. The lullaby. <laughs> <laughs>
sunshine.